Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Uh, AJ, I have to, I have to introduce Quinn. Uh, few, um, a few weeks ago, we prayed. Do you remember when we prayed for Quinn Cantor? Remember, here she is. Will you hold her up? This is Quinn Cantor. <laughs> Friends and family, welcome. Welcome, Emily, AJ. Good to have you with us. Welcome back. Quinn, God bless you. Welcome. Isn't that wonderful? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise God. Uh, would you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4? We're going to be at the very end of Mark 4 today as we continue our journey uh, through the gospel of Mark. It's the um, kind of the famous story, if you will, well-known story. You've read it. You've um, read commentary on it. You've heard people like me speak on it before. Jesus calming the storm on the Sea of Galilee. My, my hope with our time in this uh, famous, familiar story is that uh, maybe that God would use our time together this morning to help you uh, see some things uh, that you've never seen before and to have some encouragement and some strength and some promises uh, that God gives us in this story. And that would be uh, something new and fresh uh, for you. And also that there would be uh, some encouragement and some uh, strength uh, and just hearing a few testimonies uh, from our own lives about storms that we are in or that we have been in. Uh, and, and there hasn't been a jettison of faith. Because oftentimes when storms come, it, um, uh, it gets us off kilter. Uh, and there are miraculous stories of faith in this room. Uh, I know that I have walked through storms. Uh, I know that you have walked through storms. And to be with you as friends... Uh, to lean in together uh, on the goodness of God, his promises in the midst of storms uh, is a beautiful picture of uh, the bride of Christ and we can glean strength, I really believe this, from each other uh, and the journeys and the stories that you are walking uh, in faith, uh, wherever that spectrum is for you uh, in believing and trusting in God even when life is is difficult and hard. Let me give you some geographical context uh, before we read this story. Just a couple of contextual things before we read the passage. First is a geographical context uh, of the Sea of Galilee. Marty Miller, my friend, sent me this uh, painting this week of uh, this painter, I forget his name, uh, of his kind of understanding of uh, what Jesus was doing in this uh, boat, in this story. Uh, when I was in Israel this summer, had the privilege of being there with Jackson, uh, my son, and a number of other guys from this church and other churches in our community. Uh, one of the most thrilling days for me was we got to go out on these two uh, little fishing boats on the Sea of Galilee. And uh, it's a father and a son. The father is on the right. The son is on the left. The son, his name is uh, David. And I'll, I'll never forget, these, these two men grew up on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee in a town called Tiberias. Both born and raised there. And this is kind of their business of taking people out in these boats on the Sea of Galilee. And I'll never forget this. David, uh, the son, we're out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee... And he's looking due north. I've mentioned this before. Uh, he's looking due north. And his left arm goes to the 
western shore of the Sea of Galilee, and his right arm goes to the eastern shore, and he says, everything that's above my arms in this northern loop of the Sea of Galilee is two-thirds of the life and the ministry of Jesus. In his three years of ministry, that is two-thirds of his ministry. And we were talking, he's telling lots of stories, and we were, somehow the conversation lent itself to this story in Mark chapter 4, our passage of the morning. And the Sea of Galilee. And one of the things that he said to us was, uh, 10 foot and higher waves are not uncommon here. And so just geographical context of just like hearing a story about a storm coming on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus being in a boat with his disciples, it's not a far-fetched story. It's the reality of life on this sea. And he began to teach us about why 10-foot waves are not uncommon uh, there on the Sea of Galilee. The largest source of natural water in the Middle East is the Sea of Galilee. Just to the north... About 44 miles from the northern rim of the Sea of Galilee is a mountain called Mount Hermon. Uh, The Jews call it the Sacred Mountain. It's 9,232 feet. There's a ski slope up there. Did you know that? Most of you didn't. I didn't, but they ski there. Uh, Mount Hermon, 44 miles. Some scholars believe that it's the transfiguration site where Jesus was transformed before the disciples. Other scholars believe that that happened on a mountain just outside of Nazareth called Mount Tabor. Uh, But other scholars believe that it could be where the transfiguration site. The point that I want to make here about the geographical context of the Sea of Galilee is this, that you get these large, south, big, down-sloping winds coming down off the mountain going south toward the Sea of Galilee. So just the reality of the atmospheric conditions presents uh, these strong winds, southern winds coming down off of the mountain. Well, you also have to the east, you have the desert, and to the west, you have the Mediterranean Sea. And so in addition to the strong southern winds coming off of Mount Hermon, you have these crosswinds coming from the east and the west. And so... Ten-foot waves and higher are not uncommon. This is just the reality of life uh, on the Sea of Galilee. Another context point, uh, the story today is this, the Mark's first nature miracle. So it's the first, that there have been miraculous things happening in the ministry of Jesus in chapters 1 through 4 that we've already talked about. Um, uh, paralytics, paralytics being healed, people being uh, released from uh, demonic oppression. There's lots of miraculous things that we've been seeing. But this is the first, like, nature miracle in Mark's gospel. We spent time uh, last week talking about uh, the supernatural realities of the kingdom of God because one of the things that we talked about last week was when Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. He's not comparing the kingdom of God to a mustard seed, but what happens to a mustard seed. And what Mark tells us is that the mustard seed becomes a branch. But what Luke and Matthew tells us is that the mustard seed becomes a tree. And in the natural, a mustard seed, certainly it's ordinary to extraordinary. It's a small, the smallest of seeds becoming a six to ten foot high garden plant. That's ordinary to extraordinary, certainly. But in the, in the kingdom of God, we see a mustard seed becoming a tree. And so in the natural, mustard seeds don't become trees. But in the supernatural, mustard seeds become trees. This is the kingdom of God. It is supernatural. You guys with me? It is supernatural. It is miraculous. And so some of the questions that we were asking ourselves last week was, does your faith have room for the supernatural? 
does your faith give room to the miraculous, unexplained, powerful realities of the kingdom of God? And we said, if you are following Jesus, your faith must have room for the miraculous. So we're the third Sunday of Advent today, uh, Latin word Adventus, which means coming. Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus, that everything in the world was created by him and for him. That Jesus, the Trinity creating the world, that God became a baby. That a virgin was conceived of the Holy Spirit and birthed the creator of the universe. Christmas. Three wise men saw a star. They were in the east and they were a star. And they follow a moving star that rests over a little town called Bethlehem. Miraculous. This baby was born to die on a cross, atoning for the sins of the world. Jesus died on a Roman cross on a Friday, and he bodily arose three days later. Miraculous. Our Christian faith, or the Christian faith perhaps that you are considering, wherever you are today, Our worldview, this worldview, this faith is built on the foundation of supernatural, miraculous realities. Does your faith have room for the miraculous? Mark 4, verses 35 to 41 is about the miraculous. And it is also about the reality, the reality that storms come into our lives. And then when they come, not if they come, when they come, how do the people of God respond to the storms? Do, they, do, we, do we hold on in faith and in hope in the midst of those storms because of God's promises? Or do we, do we get caught up in the hardship, in the storms, and our faith gives way to fear and doubt, our faith in the promises of God, in the goodness of God, in the presence of God gives way to God has abandoned me. God has abandoned us. This story is about the miraculous. It's also about the reality of storms that come into our lives. How do the people of God respond to the storms that come into our lives? Let's read this together. Mark 4 Verses 35 to 41. I'll be reading from the ESV translation. Jesus calms a storm on that day, the chapter 4, all one day. The whole chapter is one day. And so it's the end of the day. If you remember the context, Jesus had told the disciples to go prepare a boat for him because the crowds were coming on him at such a high intensive degree, they were crushing him. And he goes, go prepare a boat down on the sea lest they crush me. And so all the people are on the western shore. It's hilly, it's mountainous. They're sitting, it's an open air amphitheater. Jesus is in a boat. He's teaching the masses. All the parables of chapter four is Jesus teaching the masses. Now Jesus is saying, hey, let's leave the crowd and let's go, let's go over just us and talk and spend some time together. So at the end of the day, on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, he said to the disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. 
and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, or a furious squall arose, a 10-foot wave perhaps, the southern winds, the cross winds arose, a storm arose on the sea, a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But Jesus was in the stern. He's back in the back of the boat. And it says, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him. The disciples woke him. And they said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke. And he rebuked the wind. And he said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased. Supernatural, miraculous. The wind ceased with a word. The wind ceased and there was great calm. It was a great storm and with a word it was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Because their faith had given way to fear. Why? Because of the storm. Have you still no faith? And they were filled, the disciples were filled with great fear. Why? Because they saw the sovereignty of God. They saw the holiness and the power and the sovereignty and the supernatural reality of God. And they were filled with awe and fear. And they said to one another, who then is this? Remember everything that they had already seen. Everything that we've already been studying over this whole semester, who then is this? It's the same teacher that called them to be his disciples. But it's like this new awakening to his sovereignty and his power and the supernatural. And they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of God. I I don't think that I have to uh, work Uh, too hard as a teacher this morning to make this relevant to our lives. Storms, storms of life. I don't think I have to convince you that storms are reality in the lives that we live. Storms, hardship, brokenness, it's part of our journey. It's accepting life on life's terms. You will have them. You have had them. You are in them. And you will meet them again. Some storms, we, we see them coming. We get a warning. So I grew up in Tennessee and tornadoes are much more prevalent there than they are here. And in the town that we lived in, Franklin, Tennessee, they had these tornado siren warning. So in case you weren't like paying attention to the weather or you didn't have your phone or you didn't get a text, it's just like these loud sirens would begin to go throughout the city and you could hear them everywhere in the town. And so when that happened, you knew in a, in a moment, this is a tornado warning, you hunker down, you get into the bottom floor of your house, you find a room that doesn't have any windows, you get all your kids in there, and you hunker down and you wait on the, on the tornado to pass. If you live on, in a coastal city, you have the same things, and the meteorologists are giving you all of the warning about what's 
coming, and they name the storms all these names, which doesn't make sense to me, but whatever. I'm not, I don't, I'm not that, but, you know, it's just, like, they should, like, name, like, hurricanes, like, like, intense names, not like Sally, you know, or <laughs> Betsy, or whatever. I don't, I've never gotten that before. It's like, anyway, sometimes you get a warning. Jesus gave the disciples a warning in John 16. It's the day before he goes to the cross and he's giving his disciples an actual real warning about storms. And he says, in this life you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Gives him a warning. Don't be surprised. It's coming, but take heart because I have overcome the world and I'm with you and you are with me. Some, some storms we don't see coming. We don't see them coming. There's no warning at all. And one moment in life, all is well. And the next moment in life, all is hell in just one minute, just like this. That's what James, I believe that's what James was telling us in James chapter 1. When he says, count it all joy when you meet when you meet various trials, there's no warning sometimes of storms. You're just living your life. You're doing what you do every day. You're living the rhythm of your life. And all of a sudden, tragedy, sickness, whatever it may be. And he says, Find, consider it or count it joy when you meet them. The testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It produces perseverance. These disciples, they're so thankful. End of an exhausting day. Jesus is done teaching. Hey, let's get in the boat. Let's go to the other side. Yes. Oh, yeah. No warning. No warning. They're in, they're in the sea. <laughs> Furious squall comes up. And when that storm came, when that furious windstorm came, they weren't prepared for it. They weren't prepared for it. Their faith wasn't prepared for it. And it lent them to this this statement in Mark 4, 38. Do you, Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? It's an indignant, ac accusatory, angry, fear-based, anxiety-driven statement to Jesus. Who, by the way, again, was taking a cat nap in the back of the boat which probably frustrated them as well. Do you not care that we are perishing? AKA, which stands for also known as, there you go. AKA, God, where are you? AKA, God, I thought you were good. This isn't good. AKA, God, why is this happening? Do something. Don't, don't you care, God? Don't you care? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in that place? Don't you care? I certainly have. I pulled uh, four books off of my shelf. This is a book written by an author named Philip Yancey. Disappointment with God. Three questions no one asks allowed. They don't ask these questions out loud because we're like good, strong Christian people and we don't ask these things out loud. But if we're honest, we're asking this stuff when storms come. Are you with me? I didn't, I didn't remember this until I pulled it out. For Jason and Lindsay, 
Philip Yancey. Why would Philip Yancey send me a book called Disappointment with God? Because I was disappointed. And I was asking the question, where are you? This is a deeply personal book for Philip Yancey. And it's a deeply personal book for me. It gives an honest look at the disparity between our concept of God and the realities of pain and suffering in our life. A grace disguised, how the soul grows through loss, Gerald Sitzer. Plums to the depths of our sorrows, illness, disease, divorce, the loss of someone we love. Gerald calls the book a grace disguised. Your pain, your sorrow, your suffering can actually be a way that the grace of God finds its way to you. The circumstances, he would argue, are not the most important realities of our lives, but what we do in faith with those circumstances are. Holding on to hope, uh, written by a a lady named Nancy Guthrie, also a personal note to Lindsay and I. Holding on to hope, a pathway through suffering to the heart of God, a healing book for those in the wake of life's devastating storms. Holding on to hope. Tracks of a fellow struggler. John Claypool wrote this book in 1974. Uh, it's the story of his own journey through suffering and loss, his own dark night of the soul. Uh, and I joined him. I joined him on this, on this track. Um, these, books, these books, church, are on my shelf uh, because I have cried out to God this verse. Don't you care that I'm perishing? I think the question that we have an opportunity to really consider this morning is how do we survive the reality of storms in our life? How does our faith, how does our hope, how does our peace survive the reality of storms in our Lives. How do we hold on to our hope and not jettison our faith when the storms come? How do we do that? I think that this story, uh, what we're engaging on this morning is the brass tacks of our, of our faith. When our faith is tested, we'll, when we meet Storms and trials of various kinds, when our faith is tested, will we stand in the storm? Do we have a belief in God, a resolving God, a trust in God, a faith in God that can withstand real storms? Or is our house or is our faith built on sinking sand? What I want to do is unpack four things from the story that I hope will be empowering, encouraging, equipping, strengthening to us this morning. As we ask ourselves this question, uh, and it's this. Here's what I want to pack from these brief six verses. The promise of God, his promise to us, his presence in our life, the peace that we have in God, and the purpose, the purpose actually that God gives to us in our pain, in our 
storms. First thing is this. Here's the promise. He told the disciples, they're on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. He's been speaking all day to the masses of people. He's like, hey, let's go to the other side. There's going to be a a really miraculous story next week that you'll hear about of ministry that happened on the other side. But Jesus is saying, let's go. Let's go to the other side. What What do you mean, Jason, that that's a promise? Well, he didn't say let's go to the middle of the Sea of Galilee. He didn't say let's go to the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. He said, let's go to the other side. What do you think Jesus meant when he told the disciples, let's all go together over there to the other side? What I think he meant was, we're going over there. That's where we're going. It's a promise that he gave them. And again, they had seen a lot of miraculous things leading up to this story. But as I thought through it this week, it's like, you know what? They, they had seen a lot of miraculous things happen for other people. But they hadn't experienced the miraculous things happening in their life yet. And so when the storm came, faith, faith was out the window. That's why Jesus said, have you no faith? And they went straight to anxiety and to fear. They hadn't seen it for themselves. And their faith weakened and they go to fear and doubt. They lost sight of the promise, let's go to the other side. And they awakened Jesus with an indignant wail of complaint. As if he was responsible for all of it. And I just go, man, isn't this so relevant? Isn't this so relevant? That I trust God when I have what I need and when I have what I want. And when life's going kind of the way that I want it to go. And I trust God. And my faith is strong. And I feel God's presence. And I'm engaged, and, but life is going well. And then when a tragedy comes or when a storm comes or when hardship comes into my life, uh, I'm so prone to wander, moving from faith to fear, even blaming God for it all. Holding on to the promises that God has spoken to us, I believe, is so essential Holding on to promises that God has given us in the midst of the storms of life is so essential. Even if we don't feel it, our faith can't ebb and flow, church, by the circumstances of our life or what we feel. Our faith is rooted in the presence and the promise of God. And we have real, tangible, liberating, hope-filled, joy-filled promises that God has given us. We believe in the supernatural message of the kingdom of God that God came to us in a baby, died and rose again three days later, and is sitting at the right hand of God waiting for the Father to send him back for the second advent. This is the foundation of our faith. And so when we're in a storm, I really believe no matter what the circumstance is or no matter what we're feeling, if we're not rooted in the promises of God, we are tossed to and fro by every wind that comes our way. And we are likely to give way to fear and anxiety and even consider jettisoning our faith, which is what I see in this story that the disciples are on the verge of doing. But Jesus said, let's go to the other side. We're going to the other side. Have you ever um, been saying goodbye to a friend? Maybe you're at an airport or you don't live in the same place and you love this person and you're saying goodbye. And you kind of mean it like in a funny way, but you're like, hey, 
I'll see you on the other side, Kevin. Like if I don't see him again after today, see you on, I'm like, I'll see you in eternity. And it's kind of, it's a kind of a funny statement, but the reality of that statement, if you really think about it, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be on the other side. And I believe because you believe in Jesus, you're going to be on the other side. So I'm going to see you on the other side. Whether Jesus calms this storm that I'm in right now or I live through this storm for a long time, I'm going to see you on the other side, bro. What, is, what, do, you, what do you mean by this? I think it's, it's an assurance. We encourage each other with these things. We give each other assurance of our faith that this life is not the end. We are sojourners here. This is not our home. God is preparing, John 14, God is preparing a mansion for you. And if it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you so. Like we're going somewhere together. And Jesus said, oh, I'm with you. And we're going to get to the other side. Whether it's on this side of heaven or on the other side of heaven, the promise of Jesus, I'm going to get you to the other side of this storm. Do we believe that? Can we access the strength of that this morning? Second thing I want to point out is the presence He said, let's go to the other side. In other words, let us go. Let us go. I'm going with you. It's not you go, it's we go. Let us go to the other side. The promise, the promise assumes his presence always in our life. The promise assumes the presence of God. In the storm or on the other side of the storm, let us go, me and you, us together. Hebrews 13, 5, I, uh, I will never, Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. You know the promise? You've read that before. You've heard that before. Uh, Great Commission, Matthew 28, 20. I, lo, I will be with you always, even to the end. Of, you know the promise? I'll be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you always. The presence of God. Let us go. The big question is, do we believe that? Especially, do we believe that in the storm? Because no matter the storm, no matter if you're in it or if you're on the other side, he is with you. And he is with me. And he is with us. Same context, John 16, Christ is about to go to the cross the very next day. And he says these things about his presence. His presence is connected to the promise. And he says these things. I have said these things to you. It's uh, John 13 to 16 is the whole last uh, supper discourse. It's all one context. And he's been talking with the disciples and he's preparing them for his departure. And he says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. I'm encouraging you with these things. I'm giving you these promises. I'm reassuring you of my presence so that when the tribulation comes, and it's going to come, that you will not fall away from me. And I'm going to send the helper to you. Speaking about the Holy Holy Spirit, I'm going to send the helper to you. You're never going to be alone in the storm. Always going to have my presence, the helper. And I have said these things to you so that in me you may have 
peace. The promise of God, the presence of God, the peace of God. What did Jesus say to the storm? Do you remember? Peace. Be still. The promise of God, the presence of God. Thirdly, the peace of God. This rebuke of the wind. Peace be still. He answers the anxious cries of the disciples by rebuking the wind with a word. Miraculous. Miraculous. He uses the same rebuke, the same language, the same Greek language that we see in this story today at the end of Mark 4 is the exact same rebuke that Jesus used in Mark 1 and Mark 3 when he was encountering demonic spirits and he told the spirits to shut up. It's not this peace be still. It is sovereignty, holiness of God, power of God. Peace be still. It's rebuking the wind. This is sovereign, miraculous power. And he is able to transform a great storm into a great calm. So we have the promise of God. Let's go to the other side. We have the presence of God. Let us, I'm with you. And we have the power of God, the miraculous, sovereign power of God. Therefore, we also have the peace of God. I'm going to say that again and make sure you're grabbing this. We have his promise. We have his presence. We have his power. Therefore, we have the peace of God. Peace. Be still. In me, in me, you may have peace. See, Jesus wasn't sleeping in the stern of the boat because he didn't care. Like, I don't care about you guys. I don't care about you. He's not sleeping in the boat because he didn't care about the disciples. He loved his disciples. He called his disciples unto himself. Jesus is at rest in the boat because he is never panicky or afraid in the midst of any storm. Because he is the sovereign Lord of glory. So he is at rest no matter what storm is here because he is the Lord of glory. And he has promised us that he is with us, a question about his rest, Jesus resting in the midst of the storm. I want you to consider this. Maybe this is the breakthrough for some of you this morning. Maybe this is the new thing, perhaps, that the Holy Spirit will help you understand and see and find a peace to resolve from. Like we can see his rest, like in the back of the boat. Where are you? Do you not care? We can see his rest as his silence in the midst of our doubt and our anxiety and our fear. Or, or we can see his rest as his gift to us in the midst of the storm. He is a refuge and a strength to all who come. How do we see his rest? I pray that we would see his rest as a gift because he is at rest. I can be in a, in a place of miraculous rest, and I believe it's miraculous, I can be in a place of miraculous, miraculous rest and peace even in the midst of a storm in my life. Because Jesus himself is our peace, Ephesians chapter 2, I can experience and taste and see the peace that passes. You guys know the promises. All understanding. You know the promises. Because he himself is our peace. Peace. 
I can experience and taste the peace that passes all natural understanding because the peace that I'm experiencing is supernatural because mustard seeds become trees in the supernatural. Last thing, the purpose. Did you notice? I, I don't know that I ever noticed that there were other boats in this story. Did you catch that when we read the story? It wasn't just one boat with Jesus and the disciples. There were other boats with them. What's the purpose? The other boats. What happened when Jesus calms the storm in the boat that he's in? Guess what happened to all the other boats that were around? The storm also calmed in their life as well. Your storm whether you are in it now or you are on the other side of it, gives you an opportunity to help others going through similar storms that you are in or that you have been in. I believe that God doesn't waste our pain. I believe that he takes everything, even tragic things, and uses him somehow in his sovereignty, in his promise, in his presence, in his peace for good. I believe that there's purpose to our storms, my storm and your storms. God doesn't waste our pain. Paul says this to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He's the God of all grace. Also the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. There's purpose to your pain, whether you're in it or whether you're through it. Revelation 12, 1, it's talking about the enemy, the enemy of our lives, the enemy of our souls, the enemy of the kingdom of God, the enemy of Jesus, Satan himself. And there's this declaration in Revelation 12, 11, that they, the church, the bride of Christ, that they overcame, that they triumphed. And there was two things that empowered them to overcome and triumph and conquer. One is the blood of the lamb. They overcame, they conquered, they triumphed because the blood of the Christ, Jesus Christ. And they overcame because of, does anybody know? Testimonies. Me talking to you, you talking to me, you talking to your neighbor, you encouraging one another with your stories. You're in a storm, somebody else in the family's in a storm. I don't have all the answers. I'm holding on to faith as best I can. Uh, but I know what it's like to be in the storm and I'm gonna come sit with you in this storm. Or I've been through this storm. God's actually brought me to the other side of it. And if he can bring me through it, I believe that he's gonna bring you through it. So I'm gonna walk with you for a while. They overcame because of the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimonies. I was engaging uh, with this passage with a group of guys that I am privileged to hang out with and spend time with every uh, Wednesday um, lunchtime. And some young guys and some older guys like me. And uh, I just, because I know in that room, I was like, man, the fact that you guys are 
are, are here, that you're holding on to your faith, you're actually ministering the kingdom, knowing your stories, there is miraculous faith here in this room, just seven of us. And I know if that's true for those seven, I know it's certainly true in this room. And we overcome by the blood and the word of our testimonies. So we got to talk to each other about our testimonies. So I'm encouraging you with this. Fill in the blanks and tell somebody. Fill in the blanks and tell somebody. Here's what my friends told me. We did this exercise. Um, I was in the storm of a school shooting. I was in the storm of a school shooting and my faith was strengthened by God's people. Helping me along. Uh, two of the guys in the room, I was in the storm of losing uh, my father to sickness and disease at a young age. Two of the guys in the room, I was, I was in the storm of an oppressive, manipulative, fear-based religion, spiritual abuse. I grew up in that storm. One guy... The storm of divorce in my family at a young age. One guy, my dad got cancer. One guy, um, sudden, sudden tragedy, no warning, no warning, sudden tragedy, loss of someone. I know those stories are here. We need to encourage each other, amen? With the, with the truth of the gospel, Jesus died and rose again. Come on, Hallelujah. And we have his promise, we have his presence, we have his power, therefore we have his peace, therefore God has given us a purpose together in our day. Let's pray. Lord, we need you. Oh, Lord, we need you. We need you every hour. Oh, Lord, we need you. And I speak your promises and your presence and your power and your peace over each person in this room. A peace that passes understanding. I speak the blood of the lamb and the testimonies of the saints of God rising up in worship to encourage faith to stand in the storms of life. Lord, we bless you for this story and the empowerment that it gives us. I pray that we would lean into our faith, we would lean into you and lean into each other. In Jesus' name, amen.